I mean, don't forget, tomorrow is November 2nd, Balfour Day. Use the opportunity tomorrow at the Shabbos table to ask your children and grandchildren, what is Balfour Day and why is it so important? Why is it so significant in modern <coughs> Jewish history? Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings, Erev Shabbos, for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, but uh, as I said, it's good to be home. See, I got this, I got this in a situation that you could not possibly have gotten it, because I got this Friday night, two weeks ago uh, tonight, in the sukkah, and where you were in the sukkah two weeks ago tonight, it was not 35 degrees and very cold. No, it was 70 degrees and beautiful, and Another argument about why uh, <laughs> Israel is a good alternative, not only in the Chagim, but all the time. You know, I went for Pesach one year. It was like 30 degrees, and here in New York, it was like 55. <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> my, my luck, what can I tell you? So it's one of the few things we can do, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I get it. It's not a big election year. But a lot of people are so dissatisfied with individuals at, at every level of government who who misrepresent so many things out there, especially vis-a-vis Israel and our community. The only way to get them to be a little edgy and wary about their position is to uh, exhibit the fact that we are willing to go out there and vote. And again, I know this Tuesday there's not much going on, but it's a good opportunity to show that our community will do what other communities won't. Well, uh, first of all, I agree completely. And the indications that people get from this do impact even future elections. Uh, But more importantly, there are uh, vital issues on the back of the ballot, uh, a referenda that I think people should look at, five of them. I've heard uh, Councilman Yeager and others talking about it and opposing all of those. They have an impact on quality of life issues, on on, uh, important issues in terms of governance. So people should also look at the flip side of, of the ballot. It takes very short time to vote. There are also s- some local elections. It's not something I focus on, but it's the local elections that are uh, of importance uh, with people who have, may have associations that we don't like or positions we don't like. Right. Uh, that really it's important both to send a message, but also in terms of the outcome of the election. A few votes can make a big difference. The fact that it's not a big year means that every vote is magnified. And if you you believe that at every level of government, at the minimum symbolically and obviously in many ways practically, uh, there there can be uh, votes and resolutions and uh, uh, items in government that that do affect uh, Israel or the attitude toward Israel, BDS legislation obviously being a prime example of that, then then go out and put the right people in office. Simple as that. Anyway, Tuesday's Election Day. Get out there and vote. Speaking of uh, representatives, and I know that this is sometimes a difficult conversation for you. There are a lot of people that normally I would mention that you have to work with in Washington, both in the Jewish world and in the world of government. We get that. Um, so if, you, if, you don't, if you're not comfortable you know, speaking about specific names, that's fine. But you know, the J Street Conference takes place this week, and I understand why this organization was founded. I know they've completely hijacked, my opinion, they've completely hijacked the peace agenda. I mean, why anybody would suggest that somebody who's, you know, against negotiating with, with enemies that have no common ground 
with us why that would why we would be anti peace. I'll never figure that out. Trust me, every single person that I know uh, that's on that side of the issue is still a quote unquote peacenik. Still wants you know to live in peace in the Middle East. Frankly, um, uh, but we but, but we see what's happened there, and now not only is it, has peace become uh, you know the the uh, the mantra. But now military aid to Israel has become a major subject. And there are members of government, current members of the United States government, some of them running on the Democratic side um, for president of the United States, who are ready to completely, and now we've seen their statements, now we've heard the speeches, who are ready to completely tie Israel's attitude or actions vis-a-vis its neighbors to military aid from the U.S. to Israel. Your reaction to this, please. Well, first of all, I do think it's important to name names. This is not about uh, J Street, uh, which I do not believe is pro-peace or pro-Israel because they oppose so much of the legislation and important issues and support candidates whose actions betray that goal. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the peace agenda is right now dead, and especially because they have an administration that they don't uh, particularly support or aren't close to, that they uh, now we see this new theme being picked up, and it's very dangerous. And the fact that Sanders and Buttigieg and uh, uh, Warren uh, talk about linking the aid to Israel to to political issues or to the peace process. First of all, it's a complete distortion right. of the reality. The, the reason you don't have peace is because the Palestinians aren't even willing to sit down and discuss the potential peace process. They are the ones who are throwing obstacles in terms of aid to their own people. Um, there's a new hospital in Gaza that the Palestinians are blocking. They don't let people even go for medical treatment for both Gaza and the and the West Bank to Israel. They that the, the 166,000 Palestinians go every day to work in Israel, and the um, uh, you know the um, distortion that's represented in, in all of this, and it, they get two and a half times the average salary that people in the PA get. That the obstacle to peace is is not Israel, and it's not the community. It's an unwillingness to recognize the right of Israel to exist. And now they turn around and they start saying about the aid package. First of all, this is only military aid, and it's a deal that President Obama, a Democratic president, uh, signed, arranged, uh, made this ten-year deal that gives Israel three point eight billion dollars a year for military aid. But almost none of it now gets spent in Israel. All of it is spent here in the United States. The jobs program in the United States, tens of thousands of jobs are provided. And this is an investment in in American defense. It's America's national interest to do this, to have a stable ally. When you see all the other countries now having demonstrations, the instability, the the way that they can switch sides, that the uh, having the stable ally and, and one where the weapons are tested, the information, the intelligence that they get from Israel, Look at the missile defense systems that they jointly uh, developed, so that these statements are, are just not uh, in in concert with reality. And the the goals and and supporting peace is something everybody wants. And every got prime minister of Israel has talked about it. But the the way to achieve this this sends exactly the wrong message. This will encourage the enemies of Israel. This will undermine the. The U.S.'s stance in the Middle East further, and the the um, and and disincentivizes the Palestinians from ever coming to to a real peace talks because they see that they gain by by stonewalling and let Israel take the hit for it. So this is a very disturbing 
development. It's, uh, this is not an issue. You don't use the military aid to, as a political tool. And you know, you know, you, you I, know, I think the American people, by the way, will reject that. You know, you, I hope. You know, you mentioned last week, and you've said it many times, uh, that you worry about the Democratic Party agenda, especially, you know, in, in light of what we saw last time around in terms of the platform, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I wonder, uh, with the with the uh, active involvement that the Jewish community, obviously the you know the complete total Jewish community has had, and continues to have in the Democratic Party, I, I wonder if it is the if it is our attitude, um, m- meaning the Jewish community's attitude toward what's happening in the Middle East that is transforming the Democratic Party. You know, we we often, and I think again you alluded to this last week, we often you know watch. We see, we observe as Democratic candidates and influential Democratic leaders, you know, move the agenda a little bit or move the, um, what's the word, the, you know, the Democrat, the platform, right? Move the platform a little bit compared to the way it used to be. But I'm wondering now if they're watching an American Jewish community that's cooperating with them and that's helping them move it in that direction. First of all, I do not believe it. It's overwhelming was rejected. Uh, we had a call yesterday with uh, our executive council. Everybody supported our taking a strong stand on this issue. The uh, and, and second, I think most Democrats reject this. I think it's unfair to to label all the Democrats with this when when it was three people, three of the candidates, significant as it is. And because once you start this kind of discussion, you throw it out there, even if if it, it's not implemented now, it then becomes part of the agenda uh, over time and gradually and gradually increases. Again, I said, I think the American people, I think the Democratic Party will reject um, this, and especially as it's explained to them. You know, in in Britain, uh, Jews voted for the Labor Party in overwhelming numbers. Now, the latest poll shows that more than 70% or close to 80% said that they would vote for Johnson with Brexit, which they largely rejected, um, uh, over Corbyn. And I think that the... You know, it's not a question of just how the Jews vote. It's it's a question of of the wisdom of this, of the undermining of U.S. Uh, interests and of our allies, of the message it sends, the perceptions uh, that that it creates. And we should not uh, again uh, exaggerate its its significance. We should understand how these kinds of things become, how they metastasize when you put a message like that out and then it spreads and the Internet takes it and it becomes more commonplace to say it, something that people would not have articulated so how do, uh, a so couple how, years ago. So how does Pelosi and Schumer differ from the other speakers at the or their colleagues who are presidential candidates? Just well, because, they, didn't, they didn't support any. Right. In other, in other words, they have a right to speak at J Street, which I get, and you know, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that, but, but their statements did not come close to the statements of the of the three presidential candidates who who spoke the way you described right and uh, i mean one can argue whether they should be there or not that's you know a decision um that can be questioned but the because of the positions that they've taken but the the there's no comparison between what they said and what um, uh, these three said and there's no way excuse the comparison there's no way apac leadership in the last few years is heading in that direction. In Absolutely other- not. I think quite the opposite. I mean, this is another one of the libels, and we, we do so much self-destruction with these false uh, uh, accusations and reports, and, and AIPAC is 
lobbied for this. APEC is is supporting it. They, they do things to help expand in terms of advancing the cooperation between the United States and, uh, and Israel in new areas. Israel is developing new air defense systems to counter the um, uh, capacity that was demonstrated in the attack on Saudi Arabia, where they were able to fly around, to fly low, fly cruise missiles into literally every single target hit. Uh, and which means that their guidance systems are, are much improved. I just saw that uh, yesterday they announced, the Iranians announced that they're giving uh, handheld drones to their soldiers, operational forces, which can engage in electronic warfare and reconnaissance and other things. I mean, they're advancing all the time their their uh, capacity. And uh, APAC and almost all the Jewish organizations are on the same page when it comes to defense and security of Israel. You could differ on political issues, and these right. candidates could have been critical. So, so I mean, I'll wrap it up with this. So, so uh, um, uh, on the APAC side of things in Washington, if there is a legitimate peace partner, everybody, including them, would be willing to sit down at the table. It has not been proven yet that we're even close to having a legitimate peace partner. Quite the opposite. They reject even meeting, and it's not we who meet, it's the administration. We right. have to be there to try and make sure that Israel is not forced to do things that it doesn't want to do, that that go against its security uh, interests and its uh, all the interests that, that it needs to advance to assure its security long-term and stability long-term. We see the instability in every single country around it. And yet you see that with no government or with a government in flux and two elections down, maybe another to come, that this democracy is strong and vital and a reliable ally for the United States. And more importantly, and more increasingly, um, an ally for many of the countries in the region who look to Israel and, and uh, in ways that was not true a few years ago. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. All right, so we, uh, we who remember it certainly can uh, talk about the significance symbolically, and I assume practically as well, uh, when Osama bin Laden was taken out during the Obama administration. Tell us about the significance of... This week's event, al-Baghdadi being taken out. Well, it is very significant, and I think the president, our troops, everybody deserves a lot of credit. There's a lot of intelligence. I'm sure this took many weeks to do, to plan. Uh, They've been following him, but he was very elusive. And uh, when you cut the snake's head, it has an impact. You can go another head, and you can get a new leader, but it isn't the same. He, He had a symbolic significance. That is erased. He, um, it, it certainly had to shake them up to show America's capability to get the leadership, and that's why I think the targeted hits against leaders of terrorist organizations are important and do do uh, affect them. It doesn't mean that they go out of business because of it. ISIS can be dispersed. Remember, it, it doesn't need big infrastructure. They don't have to have skyscrapers of offices. They operate with very minimal infrastructure. Uh, which is the nature of terrorists, uh, terrorist organizations. Some become more uh, established, like Hezbollah, which now becomes the target of demonstrations in in Lebanon, as well as in Iraq and elsewhere. So the, the taking out of Baghdadi, I think, was a very important symbolic and practical measure. Does al-Qaeda and, and get along with ISIS? 
Do they work together? They do not get along, but when necessary, they, all these terrorist organizations, Sunni Shiite, everything, cross borders or boundaries to, to work together. But they're not the same. And we, we're under the, I mean, you know, as an average person, you know, watching the news, uh, I, I always thought that uh, once bin Laden was eliminated, uh, the organized effort of al-Qaeda, you know, globally suffered tremendously. Did they rebuild and get to this point? Where Baghdadi, Al Baghdadi, was leading a, a a more potent organization, or was it just scattered and haphazard? It was both. I think. Uh, first of all, it never, they never really wiped out ISIS. They still had a presence, and I discussed this on the show, warning about the fact that in Iraq and in Syria and elsewhere that they, they they had um, pockets of support and they had thousands of. Uh, their members, including in the Sinai, and then they started coming back in um, places in individual cities and stuff, which they essentially controlled. And the um, their, the numbers of of people that are estimated to be a part of ISIS today ranges in the twenty thirty thousand range. So the and and you know a small number can do a lot of damage. They. Attracted young people with their, uh, you know, appeals uh, to martyrdom and to everything else that they uh, try to sell, and so the the uh, ISIS was never just eliminated. It was diminished. They didn't have the caliphate, the state, because we took over a lot of the territory. But they remained with pockets of support, and now today we see them in Syria, in Iraq, and other places where they're still they still have a presence, and can't do what they did before, but they can still do harm. And, they're, and, and they are or are not uh, subject to whatever Iran uh, decides to do? Like, are, are, Is there a government like Iran or others who are controlling them, or they're completely independent? No, they're the opposite. Iran is not in favor of uh, ISIS. Um, no, they're not controlled by, uh, by a government. So, when, for instance, when Iran sends instructions for Hezbollah to behave a certain way on the northern border of Israel or exhibits their influence in Gaza and other areas, they don't have those type of tentacles when it comes to ISIS. Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, all these groups are increasingly becoming wholly owned subsidiaries of Iran. The Iran militias are their creations. They all depend on them for assistance, for aid, uh, and they have less and less money to give them. So every time they can buy off a terrorist organization, they do it. Well, they, they are very flexible, and you know they can switch sides. They can they can manipulate or utilize anybody. They use these local militias. They often dress them in Syrian dress and uniform near the Golan border. They uh, have their militia in Iraq, and a lot of the demonstrations were against those. Uh, militia, the Iranian presence, uh, uh, both Hezbollah, but also the the militias, the Shiite militia groups that they recruit from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, from many other countries outside the region, and they are operative in Syria. They are operative in Iraq. We see their presence in other places as well. So uh, Iran will exploit every situation to advance its goal of hegemony in the region and talk about their control in the four uh, four areas, um, and the um, aggressiveness continues despite the fact that they are suffering the, the financial um, restrictions. They they were very angry about Turkey's intervention, but they assert now that their continuing role of, of having been invited by Syria um, to continue to to play a, a role in Syria itself, despite the fact the Russians don't aren't comfortable with it either. Right. Uh, Lebanese Prime Minister resigned this week, 
Now, I always thought that, first of all, he had threatened to resign often. In, Every week. Right. <laughs> and I, I always thought that, that his life was, is, is, was in danger if, in fact, he would go through with resigning from the government. Well, his father was killed as, as, and was a leader in the government. I've met Hariri, and I had met his father also in the good days of relationships between Lebanon and Israel during the Jemiles and post-Jemiel, uh, uh, at least there were communications, the era of the good fence, which your younger listeners don't know about but should read about. Uh, Lebanon and Israel had close relations, and I, I speak to, I meet with Lebanese officials and others. Um, they look to the time when that will be uh, true again. So the, the demonstrations are against the corruption, ostensibly, but also against Iran and against Hezbollah. They demonstrated outside the homes of members of the parliament who are supporters of Hezbollah or come from Hezbollah parties. They, um, uh, the, the military aid that the United States gives them, about $100 million a year, is now being held up because of their, uh, they refuse to act against the precision uh, missile guidance system center, that the factory that is inside uh, Lebanon, and that Israel has urged be closed and that the aid not be given because, number one, it's fungible. You know, if you give money to them, they say, well, we're giving it to the Lebanese army. But the Lebanese army today and Hezbollah and the government are virtually inseparable, though the army operates independently and we've continued to give them money. But the fact is that, that uh, Hezbollah is the dominant force uh, with, with them when Soleimani from Iran, who I've talked about many times and I think is the key guy, and I don't know why he hasn't met the fate of Baghdadi, uh, went to Baghdad. He, he, um, he said that the, uh, we know how to deal with protests. Uh, it happened in Iran, and the media control and local grievances, and now they blame it, by the way, including Khomeini on Israel and the United States, that all these demonstrations are going on. The schools are closed in Lebanon. The banks have been closed. The, the um, attacks are much broader than what people uh, know and talking about them stealing money. Who did he leave in charge of Lebanon? Is there an official government official, or it's just a military state now? So I think Haribu wants to come back, but he wants to have a change in the coalition and the structure of the government. Um, the, the, the situation in Lebanon is very uh, fluid, to, to say the least. Um, and Hariri's uh, resignation, I think the prime minister could follow uh, both in Iraq and there. But why but, would Hezbollah care? If he wants to leave and have a restructure of government, I don't understand. They need the cover. They don't. They they need the cover. When Lebanon gets aid, Lebanon, uh, if it's seen as a as a Hezbollah takes over the government, everything it becomes a terror supporting state. The whole state it, it is right. today in fact in effect, but that would change their status. So Hezbollah wants the the cover, the beard that this is a civilian government and that's a democratic government, and uh, all of the uh, things that come or be associated um, with that. And and you have to look at the whole situation. I mean, it's very hard to talk about these topics because there's so many details and complexities that are, are um, that are related to it. You know, we didn't even mention Turkey's role in all of this. We didn't talk about what the Europeans are doing there. Um, and the uh, unrest that is is spreading in, in Iraq, which is related to the unrest, in uh, in Lebanon, if you look, there are many similarities, even though they're obviously um, independent. We see the consulates of, of Iran being attacked in Basra, um, some Muqtada uh, al-Sadr warning the Iranians and coming out against them. You know, if the, if, the, uh, um, if the regularity and the size of the demonstrations 
that I see from the news sources that that you and the conference and and the like are putting out each week is accurate. It's outrageous that they're not on any national newscast. I mean, if in fact the number of people that that I see in the news sources that you promote are hitting the streets and are protesting against the government that are having somewhat an effect in multiple places, it's outrageous that nobody here knows about it. Well, DailyAlert.org, which we produce every day, um, does cover these demonstrations, but your point is absolutely right. It is amazing to see the lack of coverage, the lack of interest. The uh, you know the Germans invested two top two Syrian officials, um, important ones. Um, they're part of the uh, General Intelligence Directorate, which is really a vicious uh, element. They were caught in Germany and being put on trial for war crimes. You see almost no mention, no coverage. The demonstrations where people are putting their lives on the line, almost no, um, almost no coverage, no mention that they're going on every day. As I said, I, I cited some of the things in Iraq exactly for that purpose, because they, it, it shows where the people are at, that there are opportunities, that the messages we send by what the United States does to show that the, these, uh, the people, that we will be with them, that we stand with them, and, uh, and, and the chance to undermine Iran's expansionist policies and its increasing dominance in the region is is very important, and the fact that they're resorting to blaming Israel and the United States for all of these uh, all these manifestations, it's a sign of the desperation, and the um, opportunity should not be lost now. You know, I just saw a story that the report the other day that Tehran is sinking eight inches a day a year, or six to eight inches a year, uh, because of the water depletion. Wow. They're suffering on every front. The whole internal structure. Is is under siege. They they, they um, need to look at all these circumstances, and the, and it's an opportunity for us to do more, to take advantage, to to, to put more pressure on them, and the people are demonstrating again, that they are willing to stand up against them. It doesn't mean they're going to turn into democracies, they're not going to become pro-Israel, but you won't have the same kind of regimes that you have now. Uh, the trouble that Israel's having with Jordan, can you explain what that's about? Uh, well, they arrested two people at the border, two Jordanians, and the Jordanians recalled their ambassador because of it. That's usually a, a gesture uh, meant to satisfy public opinion right. inside Jordan. Uh, they come back again, you know, and it's not that far. They can make a phone call, and it's it's a you know forty five minute uh, trip to get to recall the ambassador. Right. But um, Jordan is also in a difficult position. The king has to often do things in order to quell the, any kind of resistance or uh, demonstrations and give people an excuse to um, uh, to organize, as we've seen the demonstrations against the Queen and her public apology, which was a very unusual move. They blame her because she's of Palestinian origin, of giving money, state resources, and land to Palestinians at the expense of the, uh, the Bedouin, uh, and the, um, you know, and it's a reflection of the multiple source tensions within uh, uh, Jordan and the delicate balances. It seems that things that were quieted down. The arrest was because, uh, I mean, Israel doesn't just arrest people. It's because they have some real concerns and considerations about them. Does Jordan care that Iran looks over their shoulder? They care very much, and their fear is that, that Iran will use Turkey as a launching pad against them because this gives them access, Iran, access to 
another border, a fourth border with Israel, Golan, Lebanon, and Gaza, all in the hands of Iranian proxies, um, and um, or but, or threatened by Iranian proxies. And but all of them. But all of whom would turn against Iran in a moment, at a moment's notice. Well, not all, because they're dependent on them for one thing, and because they have the presence in, in these places. The people certainly would, but the, um, uh, the, the, the for them, the access and the control of, of the Shiite crescent, which I talked about now for probably 10 years, mm-hmm. is the, the, you know, the control of from Iran through Iraq, through Syria to Lebanon to the Mediterranean, and that's why their, their foothold in Syria is so important. It gives them access to the Mediterranean. It enables them to threaten Israel. It, it, it expands their regional hegemonic goals, and they're driven by a radical ideology, which, uh, and, and they're trying to expand globally in many other places we won't go into now. So the, the um, you know, the uh, Iranian, the people are increasingly unhappy because of the economic conditions and because they can't be bought off with the Iranian money because they don't have it right now. Uh, Israeli election. I know I ask you about this every week, and it looks like this stalemate is going nowhere at the moment. Is there anything that has developed over the last seven days that has changed anything? Well, the... Um there's more talk now about a unity government, but also talk about uh, moving to elections, something that would not be thought of. Um, uh, Lieberman said he came out against uh, a limited government, a minority government, uh, which undermines then that prospect. So I think the goal of everybody is to drive the two parties together in some formulation, uh, and that um, and Netanyahu could accept it maybe first year, and then two years the blue and white, and then the fourth year could, which they probably won't get to, but the um, uh, in the last just 48 hours, I, I seem to get a sense that people are saying that there's no deal in the offing, nothing happened in the negotiations so far, although it was never anticipated, at least by the pundits, that anything would happen until the last minute. I think people do not, these candidates know that they're going to face the wrath of the voters, especially Lieberman, and I think they do not want to go through a third election if they can avoid it. The question is, can they avoid it? I fell for it. Uh, when I saw Gantz and Netanyahu meeting this week, I thought there was some hope. Looked like the two of them got along pretty well. There's always <laughs> hope. There may not be a chance, but there's always hope. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, you would just hope they would make some progress. Do you, you think this is going to lead to any type of election? You know, Even Bush Gore had a had a way to you know to get to the finish line there was a system that was in place to get to get somebody to get to the white house do you think that there's going to be some type of reform in israel that will have i don't know it, it could be a judicial decision or you know some other type of system to to conclude these elections with some type of real conclusion well if you remember israel tried a few years ago direct election of the prime minister right. and then abandoned it there have been a lot of proposals about raising the threshold lowering the thresholds Trying to make it more efficient and more the system more efficient, uh, but it's very complicated because there's so many vested interests. And um, you know, when you have the multiple parties to be able to get a majority in, in favor of some sort of electoral reform, there's there are a lot of people calling for it. I don't know that anything can really materialize, but um, but I think that the voters, uh, like everywhere, want accountability. They, they want the leaders to to be responsive. You don't see anger in the streets. You're not seeing demonstrations of you know massive numbers uh, of people, but you do get a sense of their unhappiness with this situation and the uncertainty that now, for all these months, they they don't know what the final outcome 
will be and that it affects because government ministries don't get filled, other positions don't get filled. Uh, the foreign ministry was on strike this week, which is very oh, sad. Right. I think that the I hope the next prime minister or the current prime minister will take steps to to rehabilitate the foreign ministry. They've decimated it. It's really regrettable. Is that over with now, or they're still on strike? No, they're going to be on strike and off strike and on strike. Um, you know, there are all sorts of of um, I think misrepresentations. There are a lot of qualified people, really good people in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Their diplomats around the world are limited, have no budget to undertake events, to travel even to parts of their own districts, uh, the areas they represent. I mean, that's not the way that uh, diplomacy is still critical in this era, and uh, um, their work in in so many areas, and whether it's humanitarian aid, whether it's uh, diplomacy, whether it's uh, UN, all of those things are impacted by it. And when they have no budget and they can't go to campuses, they can't go to other places because they don't have the travel budget. It it. it it diminishes their ability to do the fundamental work of a, of a consulate. And this, I, I didn't even realize how many practical aspects there are. There are people who really need, you know, uh, uh, forms and decisions and, uh, and bodies that they want to bring to Israel. Right. People want the students who have to go. Uh, there are people who are sick or need, may need the papers. There are uh, uh, practical. Uh, dimensions and think about the fact that foreign leaders can't visit when you don't have the foreign ministry to support and do the groundwork on it or or arranging visits and I, I know one delegation that was supposed to go but now is reconsidering if the strike goes too long. Your phone's probably ringing ringing all week with all these different uh, situations people are in. Trying. Yes, and, and and the truth is that you know if the consulate's closed, it's closed. I speak to them, but uh, on their cell phones. But uh, yes, so you, people you have a many. There are many practical, as you said, aspects yeah. beyond the normal function. So you, diplomatic function. so you can't rubber stamp anything. Uh, I didn't say I can't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're now you're in trouble. I was I was leading you down the road that your phone's going to stop ringing. Now no, you're you said rubber stamp. I didn't say it could affect anything. It's just gonna, I have a rubber stamp and I can use it for anything. But finally, Malcolm, your reaction. When some smart aleck stands up at a presentation of a Holocaust survivor and insists that they acknowledge the pain of the Palestinians who were victims, quote-unquote, of the Intifada. Well, it's probably the ultimate chutzpah. And the, um, to, to, the fact is that survivors are amongst the most outspoken people about the suffering of others. I, 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 they didn't stand up and say we have to talk about the suffering of the Kurds or the Yazidis or the, any of the other people who are Christians who are being uh, eliminated and, and being attacked all across the Middle East in, in this, by the thousands every year and being killed by the thousands every year. It's not a sincere um, concern. It's a, it's a political ploy and telling a Holocaust survivor, knowing what they went through and lecturing them about it. By their very lives, they demonstrate that commitment and, and the inspiration, and I think it's it's uh, it's community responsibility to hold them to account for for that kind of behavior. But you know that when people get propagandized, it's it's again not based on knowledge. It's not based on uh, may, often on 
reasonable positions, and it shows their ignorance about who really is responsible for the Palestinian suffering. Yep. It's not Israel, yep. and it's time that they know. You know, they talk about Gaza occupation this week. Some of these candidates, they, do they not know there's not a single soldier there? Do they know that 800 trucks a day go into Gaza? Do they know all, all the assistance that and the electricity, the gas, etc., that, that is provided? Do they know what the uh, Hamas regime is doing and, the, and, and how they manipulate their people, the, the kids, and put them in harm? way who's responsible and that's that's the sad part is that young people even young jews are, are manipulated and and uh, led astray by these propagandists and by the internet and by and, and by the way we find more and more how they're all of these messages on the internet often the reaction to you know stars that visit prominent personalities and they get these negative feedbacks it's really being manufactured groups like the students for justice in palestine and others uh have been reported to be behind many of these initiatives well said have a wonderful shabbos we will speak again next week oh and tomorrow tomorrow's balfour day not a bad idea for people to mention it in shul and at their shabbos table talk about it and and what the significance was of it I'm, i can assure you that 99.9 percent don't know but you can google it and get the information on it print it out before shabbos thank you malcolm have a wonderful shabbos malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations joins us fridays for the weekly update here at jm in the a.m